Hello guys, you're most welcome. This is the Not The Top 20 podcast with me, Ali Maxwell. Uh, and on the line today, rather than seated next to me, is George Ellick. Good afternoon, George. Good afternoon. How are you doing? Well, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm just happy that you managed to take about an hour out of your busy uh, dinner party preparation to uh, record a podcast. It's really kind of you. Yeah, I'm weighing up whether I prefer <laughs> peeling potatoes or... Uh, talking EFL with you but that's what we're going to do uh, unbelievably the listeners might be surprised to hear that I'm actually not going to the dinner so Ali <laughs> does hang out with other people well we had for me we had Valentine's Day together on Thursday pretty much yeah. so, so um didn't think you, you really deserve the call up for this one looking for a, a sort of new crowd if anything probably very little football chat which uh, is probably no bad thing but uh we'll see how I get on um we, we yeah. last week George we introduced a partnership with Football Index we spoke about uh, what it was and explained the platform and talked about what our uh, what our ambitions were really vis-a-vis making the most of our knowledge of young EFL players so we're, we're thrilled that a lot of people checked it out and some people like what they saw and signed up using our referral code how have you found the first week as a as a trader yeah I've really enjoyed it um, I was worried initially that we may have missed the boat on a couple of players but that doesn't seem to have been the case um, and it's fair to say, like most people who seem to play Football Index, I think I'll be making my second deposit fairly soon. Um, I've got a portfolio of 10 players. 10? And 10, <laughs> 10 players. And um, I am up and I, and I actually got involved on Friday. So I was a bit late to the party. And in those few days, my portfolio is up 3.66%, which I'm very happy with. Um, maybe possibly something to do with that being uh, Shea Adams being linked to Manchester United and Chelsea. Sorry, and Arsenal, I should say. Uh, which has really ramped up his price. So that is a bit of a good winner. Um, and I think that plays into my strategy generally where I'm looking for players who are generally attacking players who will probably get a move to the Premier League in the next 12 to 18 months. Um, and it's paying off already. Yeah, I got involved a little earlier than you, probably uh, by a, a week or two. Uh, so I'm plus 5.14%. So I'm quite happy with that. Uh, uh, I think we've got fa- fairly similar strategies, it's fair to say. The, the thinking being for us is that our strengths lie in the EFL. Uh, the guys on the platform, and we're still trying to get more on, uh, are generally fairly low price to buy, uh, and therefore the, the lower risk, I suppose, of them dropping value significantly. So for, for me, to get Ben Rama in, uh, to get James Justin in, uh, I've got Adam Webster as well, and all these guys have had a bit of an uptick in the last week. So if anyone would like to get involved... Um, there is a referral code NTT20 that you can use on Football Index when you sign up. Uh, the offer is that if you deposit £20 or more, they will give you an extra £20 to, to play with when you start trading um, if you use the referral code NTT20. And of course, that is for uh, over 18s only. Uh, let's get into some football chat. The FA Cup, I think, is probably where we should start, George, because uh, we went into the fifth round this weekend with, I think, eight EFL teams still in out of 16. Uh, and I, I don't want to put a dampener on things, but I'm a little disappointed to see six of the eight dreams come to an end. Newport, Doncaster, Wimbledon, Bristol City, Derby, QPR and Brentford. I mean, all of them had a decent go, I think, but they have uh, been knocked out of the cup, which leaves Millwall and Swansea going through. Let me read you this, including the year, this is from Jake Sanders, including the year they reached the final in 03-04, Millwall have won 31 FA Cup games. And in that time, only Manchester City, Manchester United, Chelsea and Arsenal have won more. So over the last 15 seasons, Millwall, the, the fifth best FA Cup team in, in England. Pretty 
pretty remarkable, quite random, do you think, or not so random? Yeah, I'd say pretty remarkable. Um, I mean, it's always hard to say. I'm always loath to to look at patterns, kind of historical patterns in clubs and read much into it. Um, but, but, you know, it's fairly significant, I guess, um, in that case. But, um, I mean, they're a club with a massive heritage in the competition. So, um, possibly, I guess, the fans um, and, and the management there and someone like Neil Harris will take it more seriously because of that history. Um, but in a season like this, where they're still scrambling for their lives you have to wonder whether or not it's a welcome distraction or if it could prove to be a bit of a um an unwelcome you know we often see these teams who go far in the league that we see their league form suffer and at the moment for Millwall that would be a bit of a disaster yeah so they've they've played three FA Cup games they beat Hull at home with two worldies from Shane Ferguson then they rattled Marco Silva's very soft-centred Everton with three goals from set pieces. And then on the weekend, beating Wimbledon again, uh, Murray Wallace scoring his second winner in consecutive FA Cup ties. It wasn't directly from a set piece, but it was a sort of second phase after it had been headed away. That was fantastic play from uh, Ryan Leonard and, and Murray Wallace with a good header. So you've touched on it there. Unfortunately, we do have to ask the same old question about cup runs and their effect on league form. Uh, since this run started, since the third round, they've played five league games, drawn three, lost two, uh, lost to Blackburn 2-0, lost to Swansea. They've drawn 0-0 with Rotherham and Sheffield Wednesday, and they've drawn one all with Middlesbrough. So what it leaves them is two points above the relegation zone with two games in hand, at least. But coming up against Derby, Preston, Hull and Norwich, the next four in the league... Uh, congratulations to Millwall for reaching the sixth round, the quarterfinal of the FA Cup. But how worried are you about them in the league in terms of battling relegation? I mean, you have to be very concerned. You mentioned the the poor run um, since the FA Cup run started. Uh, I mean, the one thing they've got in their advantage is points on the board compared to teams such as Rotherham, Reading and Bolton, none of which are really making much of a fist of trying to get out of the positions they're in. Um, I mean, Rotherham, my views on Rotherham are well-versed. I think they're very unlucky to be there. But yet again, on the weekend, they squandered an opportunity to get a big win. So, I mean, it's obviously in Millwall's hands. Um, they're not in the in the perilous position of the teams I've just mentioned in that they've already got the points to keep their heads just above them. But, I mean, that's not going to last the whole season. So, it, it, as I said, it, it can go two ways. It's up to Neil Harris to try and spin the FA Cup run into a positive um, to, to get it to, to show the players to believe in what they, they're, they're capable of doing. But what you don't want is players in league games, you know, not playing to 100% because they're, they're worried about getting injured for the for the cup games or or worried about fatigue, and that can be massively damaging. Um, so they're, they're definitely not out of it. Um, they're, they're by no means likely relegation candidates, in my view, still. But a few more results in the league as, that, as there have been. Um, yeah, I mean, that should be, um, should be enough. Yeah, we give our congratulations to Swansea next up because they're also uh, into the last eight of the FA Cup. Uh, it's a... Another sort of chapter, another um, yardstick in what's been a pretty strange season uh, and a pretty strange year with uh, a lot to be unhappy about and uh, some flashes of some very, very pleasing uh, things uh, on the pitch. And I mean, this really was the the game of of Daniel James, wasn't it? He was in the headlines on deadline day after his move to, to Leeds was scuppered at the very last, but... Uh, doing some talking on the pitch, he's sort of recovered from that pretty quickly and, and impressively, I think, for a young player who would have had his head turned. But uh, what have you made to the reaction of of, uh, of his performance? Because as we often see, when someone uh, in the EFL does something like that and becomes uh, part of the consciousness of the wider footballing world, it can be it can be quite funny, can't it? Because 
he's a player that's gone hot and cold this season, but uh, in front of the cameras and very much on social media, he's now in the minds of everyone as, as basically the fastest player they've ever seen. Well, that's exactly right. And, and you mentioned the inconsistencies. I mean, he's, he hasn't started many games this season and given um, you know the, the somewhat threadbare nature of, of Swansea's squad, I think that says a lot. I mean, he's, he's clearly a fantastic talent and to have um, a player with that pace is, is quite something. But it's also worth remembering that last season he was sent home early from a loan at Shrewsbury because he wasn't getting enough minutes. So, um, yeah, it's you know, weird it, that, it, isn't it? It's asking a lot of, of him to suddenly be be a world beater. But I mean, in this age of, of, of social media and the ease with which you can share videos, a goal like that is, is obviously going to quickly help make a name um, because the, the pace he showed was absolutely unbelievable and a great finish as well, to be honest. So um, it made me think of uh, if you could put together a team of players that you would like an all stars team to play against 10 men. Uh, which was obviously the case when he started that electrifying yeah. performance. He would be, uh, he'd be straight in now for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, Leeds fans are probably pretty gutted that the player who I'm sure they still hope they'll be signing in the summer um, probably has a few more admirers now after that one goal. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, how, how often when you watch Leeds do you see one of their wide men with space to run into? That's that's all I would say about this. And and I and I said it on Twitter yesterday. Uh, he's a fascinating player because with space to move into, he's about as deadly as as, as you can be because of that pace. But top teams uh, such as uh, Norwich and Leeds, although they, they do counter when they can, generally these teams are possession-based teams who, who who are coming up against teams that sit quite deep and... Uh, it's a it's a different it's a different ask it's a different question from a winger when that's the case so I, I mean he would have been a great addition of course he would and to have that sort of squad depth is always a bonus but there's a part of me that wonders how much of an impact Dan James would have had on, on this Leeds team. Um, so the only other thing about the pace is, is, is off the board as well. I mean if you look at someone like um, Pep Guardiola who plays his teams play a fairly um, high intensity style the players in those wide areas are generally ones who can who can you know close down with pace having someone like James in there as opposed to someone who works very hard but doesn't necessarily have the athleticism like Alioski um, if he can coach James into a role where you know, that pace is going to be a massive weapon and a massive tool to have when trying to regain possession of the ball as well as just being someone who can run to space and that's also important yeah Swansea into the next round it was a very Swansea performance because they were poor in the first half and Brentford looked very good for the lead um, and in that sense it was a very Brentford performance as well and that's been noted on social media. I think there was a lot to to be unhappy about from a bee's point of view. The way they reacted to going down to ten men, uh, it was as if they they had never even considered that scenario. Um, and and to maintain that high line just seemed like absolute, um, yeah, just a terrible decision, really. So um, it should be noted that it was it's kind of the beauty of football. The bounce of the ball can change the whole complexion of the game. And Selena's free kick to equalise, as good as it was hit the post and he's bouncing away from goal and onto the back of the goalkeeper and in. So everything kind of changed after that, but it's worth remembering that up until that point, uh, Brentford were probably the better side. It was just a, a really disappointing reaction to that bit of bad luck and, and good luck for Swansea. Um, uh, Connor Rowden, who's the youth team expert or the youth development expert that we've done podcasts with before, he, he made a good point that with regards to Daniel James and, and with regards to pathways and opportunity for young players, is that Swansea have basically stumbled into a 10, 15, well, 10 million pound asset from their youth team because of their cost cutting measures, because of what he would consider to be poor management. And uh, I thought that was an interesting point. When you think about, you know, there was that great interview with Stuart Webber, the Norwich uh, sporting director. He was saying 
every club's got players like this who can come in and contribute to the first team. And, uh, you know, he was even saying Aarons and Cantwell and Jamal Lewis, these aren't necessarily special players. We've just given them a, an opportunity. And, and, and that seems like joined up thinking from him and the club. There's something they've done. Uh, in order to to bridge the financial gap, they 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 understand the value to the club that developing players either for the first team or um, to to make money with Swansea. It's an interesting question, is it? Because the the Swansea owners they certainly won't get they wouldn't get credit for that, and you can understand why it, they've kind of lucked into Daniel James, and and you've got to wonder whether Matt Grimes or George Byers, Joe Rodon, and Connor Roberts as well, whether they would be. Uh, in any way playing or if they were still in the Premier League or, or anything. It's just, it got me thinking about opportunity. It's kind of like they've they've lucked into this in a way. Um, and I don't think that this is a necessarily a clear strategy from those that own and run the club, uh, although I'm happy to be proven wrong. So yeah, it was just an interesting thing to note, I thought. Yeah, and I think the, the old adage that, you know, you can't win the lottery unless you buy a ticket is, is one here. I mean, you, you can't unearth um you know young gems even if we've heard a lot about players who don't necessarily um aren't necessarily expected to do great things but but shine when they're put into the first team um i can't believe i'm making my second premier league reference but we've heard time and time again that basically no one who saw harry kane play football before the age of um you know 22 thought he'd ever make it as as a as a you know a top level player so Mm -hmm. having someone at the club who who's happy to take a chance on these players even if there's no real thinking they've got a superstar on their hands um, and they're reaping the rewards for it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just a quick one. From our point of view as as uh, big EFL followers and fans, we've got Millwall and Swansea heading into the last eight and the draw after we record this on Monday night. Would you prefer them to face each other so we've got one EFL team certainly in the quarterfinals or would you prefer to, to, to keep them apart, take on maybe some of the lesser Premier League opposition at home and hope for some upsets? I think probably play them together. Um, I think the chances are that um, but neither team particularly strong. Um, you know, both fairly reliant on home form. So if, I think if they're both drawn away from home to any of the other teams, we can expect them to be pretty pretty hefty outsiders. And then and then maybe our interest in the FA Cup um, has a premier to your end. So um, yeah, keep it going. I say. And Norwich and Sheffield United in the Championship this weekend absolutely battered their opposition. Uh, Bolton and Reading, respectively, teams down the bottom of the division and, and showing a huge gulf. Uh, in class, certainly in that uh, Norwich Bolton game, I know that in Sheffield United Reading, it was one of those four nils where you say, "What would have happened if Sheffield United hadn't scored after 40 seconds?" Because that really put an end to the contest. Uh, it seems like Reading had a chance to equalise, and then after the second goal, it was all one way. But uh, Norwich Bolton first, a couple of the goals going viral on social media that the, the way that they pass and move right from the back and and trust their teammates and trust their ability on the ball and. With the finishing of Pukki, uh, it was just deadly. Uh, are they playing some of the best football you've seen uh, at this level over the last few years? I mean, you have to say so. Um, the the quality of, of all four goals was, was unbelievable. I mean, each one had um, either a lovely touch here or you know the, the team goal that we saw for Pukki's first. Um, fantastic finishes, um, ridiculous. They missed another penalty, but um, but yeah, they're, they're playing unbelievable football, and it's it's especially after. You know the disappointing defeat midweek at Preston. You know we said about Sheffield United after their um, defeat a couple of weeks ago that we were going to see. Oh, sorry, the yeah, the defeat a couple of weeks ago we were going to see how they how they reacted. And they reacted very very well. The same as the case of Norwich this weekend. How are they going to react to to you know being resoundingly beaten on the road and to uh, to turn up with that performance? I mean, it was a great game for them to have here going going to Bolton. You probably couldn't pick a better away game to to try and get you back on the on the straight and narrow. But they were two 0 up after twenty minutes, minimal fuss. 
um, a, a continuation of the football that Daniel Farker's got them playing. Um, two more goals for Puki. Um, it's just it's just great. It's, great. it's really great to see. And you know, th- th- it's disappointing for me looking at the three teams at the top. Um, I know that West Brom are obviously after that win are, are knocking on the door as well. But I just I'd love to see all three of them in the Premier League next season, all being run in very different ways. But all three teams just deserving of that opportunity and the players to to show what they can do at the top level. Yeah, Bolton's only chance really was to to try and assert some physical dominance, and and the the fact that Norwich rose above that with ease, I thought was the was the most impressive thing here. I mean, in terms of the goals going viral and people going, oh my god, like that! Look at this football in the Championship, which I saw a few times, which was uh, you know always a shame uh, to see uh, people who who don't watch as much Championship football as us saying that sort of thing, because there's a lot of good teams to watch, um, and hopefully they would have watched. Brentford Swansea in the first half yesterday some some really good ball playing teams as well I think generally for me I'm more impressed with what they were able to do against a team like Leeds a team that A wants the ball B has quality on the ball which means you have to be bang up bang up for it out of possession and then also tries to win it back when you have it I don't think any of those really apply to, to Bolton unfortunately but uh, the last note here, or two rather uh, quick notes, Tom Tribal completed 131 passes, which I'm not sure I've ever seen at a uh, championship. Unbelievable, level. yeah. Uh, and Emmy Buendia with some really nice passing. Again, we've mentioned him basically every podcast, but I think it's worth noting that his level of performance and, and the fact that he's really reached the uh, well a level or two up from the start of the season over the last few months. I can't remember anyone um, put together a stretch of performances like Buendia's. And Sheffield United 4, Reading 0. I'm going to have a bit of a... Uh, I'm not going to have a go at you, but I'm just going to note that uh, Billy Sharp and McGoldrick were rested here and that raised eyebrows. Medine and Hogan get their chance. 4-0 to Reading. Medine with 2. Hogan looking lively without getting on the score sheet. 1 in the eye for you, George, who was uh, you know hating on Chris Wilder's transfer window deeds. Yeah, and I also said that avoid Billy Sharp for top goal scoring market because uh, he may not start every game this season. So. <laughs> That's true. That is true. Um, He'll have been was, fuming, uh, won't he, to watch uh, to watch Pookie go ahead of him. Yeah, and uh, I just think that this was a, a very smart call from from Wilder. I mean, I'm still not convinced that Hogan or and, and Medine will play. I mean, I mean, Medine's obviously settled in very very well indeed, and and to get two goals to, to break that drought will be important for him. Both finished with serious confidence for a guy who's, who's struggled to score goals. Um, but I mean, I, I still don't think Scott Hogan's going to play much uh, this season. I think his the arrival at the club is, is fairly pointless. Um, I mean, it's given him a chance to rest uh, sharp, I guess. But in a game where he was aware that they, you know, it was a game that they were expected to win and win well and he, and he could afford to, to rest the players. So, and, you know, the... It's harsh for you to say that I was hating on the world to <laughs> stop piling. It's more just, a, you know, it's something that he's done throughout his career, sometimes with some success and sometimes with none. Um, but, you know, as it's looking at the moment, uh, it looks like it's going to be a good decision to bring in those reinforcements. Yeah, so without Leeds playing this weekend, it was a good weekend for those two. But below Leeds, you've got West Brom and Middlesbrough sort of keeping the pressure on the top three. A bit more on uh, on these guys now. West Brom... Going to Aston Villa, winning 2-0, perhaps a little lucky to be two goals ahead in the sense that uh, it was a, it was an even first 35, 40 minutes. It was a perfect header from Hal Robson-Carno. One of those ones where when you see it live, you wonder what on earth the goalkeeper's doing. And when you watch it back, you realise that at no point was that ball under the crossbar until the exact moment where it needed to be. So a perfect header. And then a wicked deflection to put them two up. I think what's 
maybe most notable about this one is how well West Brom shut the game down and and one in the eye and I'm not pointing at you here but this one is another one in the eye for for Darren Moore uh, for those who are sort of questioning him and, and wondering, wondering whether he had the tactical nous maybe of some of the other managers at the top yeah and I mean you have to agree with that this was a big win for them um, and a lot of people who who uh, you know are a fan of Darren Moore emerged on social media on the weekend saying you know this is an example of, of why those who think that he's not up to the task are uh, are wrong so so you know fair play um i i i still don't think that they're um in the same uh, well i don't think that they're in my mix in my head i mean you, you can't say they haven't got a chance but there's still something about them that i just can't quite put them into that top three but more results like this i mean it's, it's obviously a very difficult place to go as well so so to get the wing uh to get, to get the win was huge um but i don't, I don't know what it is it's continually um making me just a little bit hesitant to to really uh say that this is a four horse race for for automatic promotion they, they, um, but they, they could have gone behind um early on abraham missed a good chance and it was notable that again it was a chance that they gave to the opposition after giving the ball away trying to play out now it's not something we normally um complain about because we we i think for the most part we understand the reasons why teams try and do it and and retain possession and uh, from from goal kicks and such like, rather than booting it down the field and trying to play percentages uh, uh, in, in an aerial sense. But from a West Brom point of view, it strikes me that against Middlesbrough a couple of weeks ago, against Forest in the week, and then almost against Villa on the on the weekend, they're giving away massive chances because they're asking Craig Dawson to try and make sort of eye of the needle passes, and, and yeah. that, that's a concern. It is a concern. I mean, it's worth pointing out here because, I mean, it's important not to be unfair on West Brom because they, they went to Villa Park, which, as I say, is not an easy place to go. Maybe at the moment it is a little bit easier because they're in a bad run of form. But they, they were, you know, they were completely deserving of their win. Um, you know, Harrops and Carney's header was a bit of a one in a, one in a million shot. I mean, talking about XG and stuff, I mean, that is that is not, not an easy header to pull off. So credit to him for doing so. I'm not sure how many times out of 10 that would go in. Um, and it was a deflected strike from Joe Rodriguez as well that, that snuck in the corner. But on the balance of play, they were fully deserving of their win. They were the better team on the day. Um, it may be a good time to play Villa. Um, Jack Grealish, again, obviously not fit to play. And, and the record, uh, Aston Villa's record with and without him is is fairly glaringly obvious to anyone who still thinks that he's not um, all that. Um, but yeah, for whatever reason... Um, just because the manner, I mean, West Brom has scored the most goals in the league this season, so it seems bizarre to say it, but I just don't think that the, the style of, of football and the attacking play they have is as, is as hard to defend against as, as the teams that they're trying to usurp at the moment. Yeah, you mentioned a, g- a good time to play Villa. It was definitely a good time for Middlesbrough to play Blackburn. Uh, last note on Baggies was a, a, another, you know, I'm always fighting to, to for, for the youngsters, Raheem Harper couple of uh, Villa fans who I've spoken to very impressed with him and uh, he's he's one of those that you know you look up on football index almost immediately when you log on to see to see if you can get involved with him but again one we've slightly missed the boat on in terms of price compared to, to some of the others uh, but Borough went to Blackburn on Sunday and they won one nil uh, it was a, a, an impressive Middlesbrough performance uh, Blackburn going down to 10 men and, and not in particularly good form anyway they basically created one very good chance uh, for Dak that Randolph saved. Randolph on sensational form at the moment. And Joseph messages to say, can Borough still get top two? So I wondered what you thought about that. I mean, we're always we, we're always framing discussions like this, aren't we? Which which sometimes might be a bit reductive. You know, 
we might not think a team can reach the top two, but also be quite impressed with their form, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think they can, personally. Um, it's, again, it's not out of the realm of possibility. I'm not here to say that something that, that is quite clearly uh, possible is, isn't going to happen. But in, in my opinion, that would take a a real a drop-off from teams that I just don't see dropping off. Um, it's, it's not in their hands whatsoever to get in amongst it. And, and to expect, you know, with, with 12, 12, 13 games of the season left to go, to expect Sheffield United, Leeds, Norwich and, and also West Brom to all drop the necessary points would allow Middlesbrough to get in with an incredible run of form. Um, it's, it's a really, really tall order. Yeah, what was most interesting about this game was with Ayala suspended and Flint injured, uh, such sort of stalwarts at the back for Borough this season. It was interesting to see the way they'd set up. Now, I don't think anyone could have predicted that with a back three of, of Shotton, Fry and Friend, uh, Shotton being generally the right wing back and Friend being the left wing back, both of them just slotting inside, uh, which kind of makes sense when you think about it. Uh, and the wing backs, Johnny Housen on the right and George Savile on the left, both of them uh, generally, nominally central midfield players. Uh, um, in front, a central midfield of Besic and the imperious John Obi Mikel, who's had an amazing reintroduction to English football. It looks very, very comfortable, it's fair to say, at championship level. Uh, and then and then basically three uh, at the top of the pitch who will be supported by maybe Besic, maybe one of the wing-backs in attack, but who generally are just making an absolute nuisance of themselves. And Lewis Wing, uh, sort of playing a, almost a free role behind the, the strikers, able to drift wide and with a great delivery when he does so, but also proving himself to be a, you know fantastic when it comes to leading counter-attacks, driving the ball forward, very dangerous from range as well. He's had a, a really impressive season wing, a real breakout star for... For Middlesbrough, and uh, as much as a Sombolonga's goal was very a Sombolonga uh, poaching, uh, it was impressive play from from Ashley Fletcher. If they can get him to contribute, that would be massive for them because uh, apart from Hugill, uh, I feel like there's a bit of a gap there for someone to be a foil for a Sombolonga. And surely, if you can get a Sombolonga in form and scoring, that should be a a priority of sorts. So I was impressed with that. I noted that they've. You know, we, we mention it every few weeks when we talk about them. They've conceded six goals fewer than the second best defence, which is Bristol City. Ten goals fewer than Sheffield United, who have the third best. Um, and when they get ahead, they tend to win. But it's sometimes it is scoring that first goal that's the problem there. Um, so it'll be it'll be interesting. You, one of those teams you wouldn't want to come up against in the playoffs, although their playoff performance against Villa last season was very disappointing. Um, on to the last three games. They were all draws. So Rotherham 2, Sheffield Wednesday 2. Um, bit of a sickener that, George, for, for, for their fans who have kind of seen this one before this season. And, of course, for those who tip them on the betting show, uh, not being able to secure three points when they've earned them. And we had Sheffield Wednesday fans saying that uh, that's a, it's a big issue for them. Yeah, I mean, this is this sums up their season in, in a game. Um, should have been should have been clear um, before conceding a goal against a run of play, um, getting themselves into a winning position, and then squandering it with some you know poor defence at the end. I mean, there was a really scrappy goal. Um, so it's it's it must be incredibly frustrating for their fans and for, and for Paul Warren. But again, big picture, they can take massive heart from the performance. They they were still the underdogs at the, at the beginning of the season. I mean, they may have only won two games since mid-September, but but consistently they're putting in performances that show that they have the quality needed to to stay up. And eventually, I mean, I, it, it's 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 hurting me in the pocket. Um, but eventually, the, these performances are definitely going to turn into into points. One one of two things is going to happen: either they're going to get the points that they they deserve, or the performances are going to dip. Um, and 
it's it's a tough job for Paul Warren to, to keep the to keep the players and, and, and keep the fans believing that they can get the points needed. But um this was a real kick in the teeth for them because especially against against, you know, in what is a local derby, against a team who um historically have, have always been at a, at a at a bigger and higher level than than Rotherham to to concede a goal in the hundredth minute to to take away that victory um is really, really tough. Ipswich showed some more resolve with a late equaliser against Stoke. That came after they drew one all with Derby in midweek, coming from going behind very early there as well. So you you, you certainly can't question uh, some character in this Ipswich side, even if uh, quality-wise they're still struggling to, to find a way to win. And Preston and Forrest played out a, a nil-nil draw, very even game this one. I think for me the most notable thing is, is Martin O'Neill's Real penchant for, for switching it up tactically. Uh, he set up with Murphy and Graben up front uh, in this game with Lolly uh, in the hole. And Lolly, it seems, his sort of primary task was to stick on Ben Pearson and to, to stop him playing. And something that worked very, very well from all accounts. So he's already tried a few different systems, uh, different sorts of personnel, Martin O'Neill, keeping the fans guessing, keeping the opposition guessing as well. And I think if you're going to come in at this stage of the season, it's quite good to see that rather than someone coming in and with a, with some sort of preconceived idea in their head of, of what they're going to do with, with the players. Um, so I'm quite impressed with that. We I sort of laughed at him on the podcast, remember, when he was appointed. He said, I, I don't know that much about a, a lot of the players. And you sort of said, well, that doesn't seem ideal. Uh, he's sort of learning on the job and there's a part of me that's slightly changed my mind. I quite like it, uh, especially the, the introduction of Ryan Yates into the first team. Talk about someone who's waited for his opportunity. He looks like a, a real player there. So uh, nil-nil Preston Forest. League One uh, now, George, I'm, I'm not going to dress it up. Uh, it wasn't the greatest weekend of all time uh, in terms of results, in terms of storylines in League One. Uh, we will touch on the top because uh, if you put £20 now on Luton to win promotion, you only get £1 back. Uh, if you do the same with Barnsley, you get a pound back if you put a fiver on. So uh, in terms of probabilities and bookies' prices, they're saying it, it's more or less all over. So I, I wondered if... You agree with them. I, I suspect you probably do, given that all season it's been Luton and Barnsley for you. Yeah, I, I do agree. I mean, I'd probably rather be a, a layer than a backer at those prices, I must say. <laughs> yeah, um, of course. But, 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 but even so, um, I think they're the two class teams in the league. I, I'm really baffled by what's going on at, at Portsmouth. Um, just bizarre uh, from Kenny Jackett. It's, it's not something he's done much in his, in his career, just to really shuffle the pack during January. And we saw it again um, on, on the weekend. I mean, obviously it looked like it was going to work well when they were 3-0 up. But then suddenly you've got Solomon Otterbore, you've got um, Bogle, you've got Hawkins, you've got uh, Lowe, all in the same team. And it just feels completely um, structureless, uh, if I could say. And it was, you know, with a team like that lining up, it's not a surprise to sacrifice a three-goal lead. So you've got to be concerned about them. Won't mention Sunderland um, too much, but it's just hard to see well, Which Portsmouth, team? Sunderland and Charlton, who are third, fourth and fifth, they all drew this weekend. So again, losing ground on the top two. Yeah, and, and it's, it's basically just hard to see where the uh, where the challenger comes from. Um, similarly to what I was saying in the championship about Middlesbrough, um, if a team like like, like Doncaster, um, you know, they're too far behind now, unless you're expecting a, a, either Luton or Barnsley to go on, on a really, really poor, poor run. And it just seems 
unbelievably unlikely that's going to happen. So this, um, is, this is it, isn't it? And you, you kind of mentioned it with Middlesbrough and, and West Brom in the championship section. It's not that it can't happen in terms of mass. It's not to say that a good run of form can't happen or a drop-off from a, a top team can't happen. Uh, and we've seen it happen every now and again before. But what you're saying, what basically what you're asking to happen is two teams who are playing at an unbelievably high level relative to, to the division and have been now for, I don't know, at least two months in a period of the season, which is not a, an easy period. You're asking them to, to drop off quite considerably. And you're asking three teams in Portsmouth, Sunderland and Charlton, or one or two of those, who over the last four to six games, all of them, I think, and their fans, I'm sure would agree, have shown performance levels quite simply not at, uh, automatic promotion level you're asking one of them to find a, a solution quickly and, and to reach another level which again at this stage of the season you wonder well if it hasn't happened up to this point can you be sure it's going to happen again probably not so uh, I, I kind of think that that's how to sum it up really isn't it yeah yeah you know exactly that that that's 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 right it's not it's it's just impossible to for me to fathom I mean Luton are the ones where because of the Mick Harford situation and because of the the rapid rise that, they, that they've um, gone under, um, you have to think that they are the ones who could be susceptible to a slump. Um, just because, you know, a bad result here and a bad result there, suddenly looking around for leaders, the leader's gone. Um, but, I mean, it's clutching its jaws, I think, if you're expecting that to happen. I think what's far more likely is that Luton absolutely romped to the, <laughs> to the title. So, um, yeah, I, I think that the, the, it's probably... Um, the horse has bolted, but uh, but and Barnsley as well. The, the way they've managed to to cope um, with the departures in January as well. I mean, you wouldn't you'd have no idea they lost two um, fairly crucial attacking players in Potts and Monker because it hasn't affected their attacking output at all. If anything, they've gone from strength to strength since January. So. Um, it would be a massive surprise to see them fade away as well. Yeah, I'm going to give one crumb of hope to the challengers. Uh, you mentioned a very small possibility of why Luton might start slipping up. Well, uh, Barnsley have the youngest average age of the whole league, of the whole division. So if you consider experience and and quote-unquote leaders to be a, a thing and you think you can pick who is and isn't based on age, then maybe they're a team that, that might struggle if they get one or two bad results. I just want to mention Portsmouth because I did watch that game against Southend and I was absolutely baffled by the whole affair. Uh, firstly exactly how bad South End were in the first half. Probably the worst performance I've seen uh, this season from any team in the first half. It felt like whenever Portsmouth attacked, it was like 11 against 9, um, except that it wasn't. And that's really worrying for, for a South End team that we have relatively high hopes for if they could have everyone fit and, and a manager in Chris Powell that we like a lot. But they were absolutely all over the place. And Portsmouth... They were sort of 3-0 up in spite of themselves. They didn't play badly, but they, they weren't playing, you know, absolutely brilliant football. Uh, and then in the same way, that their performance level in the second half was so disappointing. But the, the most bizarre thing for me was it didn't feel like at any point Southend were absolutely battering them. It didn't feel to me like Portsmouth had completely lost it. You know, if you're watching the game, you can kind of tell when a team is just massively vulnerable and, and obviously going to concede the second or a third goal because they're getting absolutely battered. And I didn't really see that. But Portsmouth fans would have, you know, I was seeing them tweeting at 3-1, oh, we know what happens next. So they can feel, they can sort of feel justified in that. But from my more neutral eyes, I, d I didn't feel like they were getting absolutely battered. It was a, it was a, a 
silly foul from Morris for the penalty. It was a brilliant goal from Cox to win it with a bit of a breakdown defensively with Jamal Lowe uh, tracking him, tracking his run. Not ideal. So, so much to be worried about. I was just slightly less hysterical than some, I think, after that. But I, I understand that, A, I haven't watched the last six games in which they failed to win. Uh, and I haven't sort of, from a fan's point of view, experienced the emotion of them being the most solid team in all four English divisions pretty much in the first three months of the season to, to what they are now, which is is quite the opposite. Um, a couple of other results in, in League One to touch on. Um, Coventry beat Walsall 3-0. Now, this is kind of notable because Coventry haven't put that many goals past someone all season. And yet... There's a bit of a quirk of data, isn't there, George? In terms of the XG number, certainly going forward, they're they're meant to be one of the best teams in the league. So, what does that sort of what does that tell you about them? I think it tells you they're they're a good team and they're and their value for their position um, in the top half of the table. They're they're a definite possible contender if they can manage to sneak into the playoffs. And that they're probably a goal scorer short of being a really good team. Um, it's we've seen time and time again that they lack that clinical edge in front of goal uh, this was a bit of a you know even for those people who who fancied them to win this uh, this weekend against Walsall and what looked like a bit of a home banker to see them score three score three goals was a bit of a surprise uh, I think to everyone because it's something they've struggled to do this season so if you know we, we always talk about how these trends normally lead to an improved improving performance with Coventry it was easy to put point your finger at the, the fact that Lacking that key goal scorer was always going to mean that they were going to slightly underperform compared to the to, to the performance data. But I mean, more results like that. I mean, a fantastic goal from Jordi Harula running down the left. It looked like maybe a foul. Um, but they've got the they've clearly got the system, and they're clearly playing for Mark Robbins in a way that's creating chances. So there's no you know, they're not there by fluke. I think they're there to stay. And more more performances like Saturday could really put them in the mix. Yeah, you've got a fear for Walsall. They are one of many teams under threat of relegation from League One. Uh, and at any in any given week, it feels like there's a new crisis club. But their poor performances uh, have have now been sort of established over the last six weeks or so. And, and I think there's a feeling, uh, not helped by some of his post-match interviews, that Dean Keats isn't necessarily a man with a plan. He seems a bit bereft of, of ideas, a bit bereft of answers uh, for these poor performances, which is obviously uh, a massive concern for them. The big winners at the bottom were Gillingham, uh, pretty much the only team down there to win, and they lifted themselves away from the relegation zone. They did quite a lot of business on uh, Jan- on deadline day, didn't they? And uh, one of them was Leo da Silva Lopez on loan from Wigan. Uh, he's He's an interesting player, isn't he? He's only... Oh, he's still so young, but it feels like he's played a lot of football, and he did do for for Peterborough. And it's a really it's a really funny one. We do bang the drum for young players quite a lot here, and sometimes you wonder whether uh, there's a bit of sort of confirmation bias that you have when you really want a young player to be really really good. For De Silva Lopez, I think both of us were kind of on the same page that we, we didn't necessarily, when he signed for Wigan, understand quite where the hype was coming from. Yeah, and, and I think it's significant to see that he's now back in League One playing for a team who are struggling to fight the drop. Um, it was a, a brilliant assist um, that we saw him uh, on the weekend, but that doesn't necessarily make him a good player overnight. Uh, and he's someone who, as I say, at this early stage in his career, given that he was playing for an ambitious Peterborough side before he made the move, I think there's some significance in the fact that he's ended up at Gillingham. Um, but a, a 
you know, a huge start to his time there, a fantastic result for them um, in a game that, you know, their manager talked up before the game saying how important it was. So uh, it's so tight down at the bottom that these these performances are huge and to get the win for them uh, against the fellow strugglers, absolutely massive. But again, on, the, on Leo de Silva Lopez, we've seen enough of him at it, during his time at Peterborough to maybe urge caution, but uh, it, it's, a, it's a good start from the club. Sort of harking back to, to the, the discussion we had earlier, or the musings rather on pathways and opportunity for young players and how valuable they can be for a club, whether it's contributing to the first team or as an asset, as a, as, as a, something you can sell, a player that you can sell for a few million pounds. And, and uh, while you were talking there, it did strike me that in Darren McAntony, Peterborough have a chairman, maybe more than any other team, who understands the value of players and who understands how valuable they can be and, and how you get them to that point. And I've certainly seen one or two posh fans say, uh, yeah, th- this was almost like a targeted process, it seemed, for De Silva Lopez to play as much football as possible. Uh, in order to to basically make some money off him, which they did when he signed for Wigan. So, absolutely fair play for that. Uh, lastly, in, in League One, uh, Peterborough with a tight win against Oxford, George, at the Kassam. Um, worrying result for Oxford, but did this seem like, it kind of seemed from the outside in, like sort of same old story, really. Uh, a fairly even game that Oxford have, have been on the wrong side of. Was there anything that stood out in that game from a posh point of view or a yellows point of view? Yeah, I, th- I think Peterborough were good value for their win. Um, I couldn't go to the game, sadly, but um, it sounded as if, given the, the really good performances against Barnsley, against Portsmouth and against Sunderland, um, it was a, you know, back down, crashing to earth for Oxford, who didn't really turn up, didn't really create a great deal. Um, and a flat atmosphere was mirrored by um, a pretty flat performance. So, big concerns, but, uh, but you know, a, a huge first win for Darren Ferguson back at Peterborough. Um, and yeah, as I say, good value for the win. And Ivan Tony again showing that he's a very, very good goal scorer at this level. A really nice, a clever run from the free kick and a really good finish as well. Yeah, it feels like they're really as as well as the goals of Tony. It does feel like they're kind of back to the days of really riding Marcus Madison as hard as possible. And in 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 basketball, there's obviously fewer players on the pitch, and there's always someone who has to take the shot at the end of every possession. But what you get is a metric which is basically usage. Uh, and Kobe Bryant, who was always the guy that always had the shot at the end of the possession, he was always the most sort of high volume, high usage guy in the league. And I, you know, when I try and think of parallels, Marcus Madison always springs to mind. It feels like they look for him at every opportunity, and then it's up to him. It's sort of like a um, choose the next step type video game whether it's dribble uh, cross or shot for him and um, you know it's a it's a tactic that can work in tight games but it's interesting because you know it's easy to forget that in the summer they clearly had a plan for him which was to make a couple of million quid off him um, to move up to the championship he's a player that every championship team must have scouted to infinity uh, in the last few years because of the the, the, the way that he stands out on the ball, uh, and it never worked. No, no championship team pulled the trigger, which kind of left everyone in a bit of a tough position. Uh, so he didn't start a game this season until the ninth league game uh, for Peterborough, and they've eased him back in, and now it's sort of back to back to how it's been the last few seasons. So it'd be fascinating to see if he finishes the season well, whether someone will take a punt on him uh, in the summer. A more worrying news uh, for Oxford off the pitch. Uh, another winding up petition, which... From an outsider, George, looking in, it just looks very unimpressive and, and a little bit confusing because you don't think of Oxford as as a team with financial issues. But this keeps happening. 
Yeah, I think a lot of the fans are going to start losing, I think have lost confidence in the owner, um, which is a, re- a real shame. Um, it is the fourth winding up petition of the season. The last three have been unpaid tax bills. This is from Faroka, which is a stadium holding company. Uh, so it's from Firas Kassam, effectively, who's the, the landlord and former owner. Um, the club have come out saying that there are, there are measures in place to pay the bill, which isn't really good enough. It's exactly the same as what's happened with the, with the tax bills. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there was a, a protest with feet um, in the coming weeks. I think it's quite lucky for the club that the next two games are both away games up north. Because I think if tomorrow night was at home, you'd probably see a record low crowd. Um, people are, are just going to give up. Uh, it's really sad um, that people at the club have to do more to uh, make a club that's in, you know that's working on the pitch and off the pitch, and both of the things are failing at the moment. Um, to to be in a position where you're consistently being handed winding up petitions, even if you do eventually pay them, just shows that something isn't being run properly. Either it's a cash flow issue, which I don't think it is, despite a lot of people thinking it is. Um, I think it's just a complete lack of organisation. Um, and if that's coming from the top, that doesn't bode particularly well. And pretty soon, I mean, the owners should be desperate at least to keep the fans on side. Um, but I think today's news has pretty much put Oxford into a into a position of crisis. And how that's going to go over the next coming weeks is going to be pretty interesting because he's only been the owner um, for about a year or so now. And uh, on the pitch that year has been unbelievably disappointing. Um, uh, so it's going to be <laughs> a hell of a job to turn it around. No, and, and people want the manager out, people want the owner out. It, it all bodes pretty poorly. So a relegation on top of that could see Oxford in, in something of a, of a free fall. Yeah, not good at all. Um, on a more positive note in terms of owners, uh, many people will have seen the, the good news for Blackpool fans last week. Uh, the club put into receivership uh, in court so that essentially so the club can be sold away from the Oyston family uh, and the proceeds used to pay off some of the £22 million owned by the Oyston family uh, to Valerie Bellicon. Um, now, this hasn't fully gone through yet in, in, in the sense that uh, the receivers aren't installed uh, officially just yet. It's expected to happen and that is great news for fans of the club who have been waiting so long uh, for the Oyston family to be removed from it. Uh, I know that Blackpool host Oxford on Saturday. Uh, <laughs> I've seen that the, the the Blackpool fans have said, you know, this doesn't mean that the boycott is fully over. We need to make sure that A, um, no proceeds from tickets are going into the pocket of the Oyston family and B, that he's fully removed from the club and we're satisfied that he is before we flood back. So uh, worth keeping an eye on that one. But uh, yeah, a real quirk of scheduling given what you've just said about um, the situation at Oxford. Let's go to League Two. It was a great day at the top for Berry, really. Uh, Lincoln drew, Mansfield lost, and we'll touch on those games in a second. But um, Berry with a um, don't sleep on an away win at Exeter. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, it might have been the worst winning goal I've ever seen. <laughs> I'm not sure if you've seen it, but the the cut back to Maynard, he basically completely fluffs it, and then the the nearest defender clears it into his chest or leg uh, and into the goal, but. Um, quite good for that and Barry let's focus on them for a second I know that some of their more pessimistic fans might not be quite as assured but we're still feeling pretty good that this is a team that will be making it straight back up to League One yeah I think that's definitely the case this is a huge result 
um, because Exeter have massively improved in, in the last few weeks. So um, to go to their place and, and get the win um, is huge, especially after a couple of you know a, a disappointing result the week before. Um, so as we keep saying, it's I mean, the, the one team I'm actually concerned about in this League Two title race is Lincoln. Um, really, I think don't make I that mistake. That, we said this I when think, they went through a blip last time. But I, I think the, I mean, the data supports it as well over the last couple of weeks. And you're seeing, you know, um, Dino Mamria talking after the game um, about, you know, he is incredulously annoyed about picking up a point. Yeah, don't, don't buy too much into that, goals. mate. I, I saw that interview not. and no, 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 I no, looked no, at the no, stats no, and it, it wasn't, I, I, they I, weren't I, quite as he said. But, but at the same time, despite that, he is not the first manager to talk about his frustration not picking up points against Lincoln. Um, we've seen... Uh, Notts County's good run start against them as well. I've just, I mean, obviously they're a team who, and you know, we have immense faith in Danny Cowley as a manager. Um, but there seems to be this air of invincibility around them because of the Cowleys and because of of, of their preseason status as favourites to go up. And you know, they're, they're competing against really good sides here. Um, despite Mansfield's loss on the weekend, they'll be right up there. Berry with this huge win. Uh, Forest Green getting back to winning ways with, with a plum. It's just it's going to be it's going to be tough for them, and I, I just feel like there's this assumption that they will be the one team who you can rely on. Um, and just the, the recent results and the recent performances uh, just have a little bit a little bit of concern for me. Um, you know, I'm not standing here saying I'm, I'm expecting them to to drop down the table, but um, I, I would I'd be slightly cautious in, in putting them down as a banker. Yeah, I, um, I think they'll be fine. I think they're a banker. Um, they, they they conceded two in the last five minutes and these goals were notable because they were absolute screamers from Ilias mm. Chair uh, at Stevenage on loan from QPR. Unbelievable. Stevenage have done very well out of the loan system in the last few years. They've got some really good players in um, and almost scored a third right at the end from, you know, it would have been the best of the lot. It would have been easily the best hat-trick this season in the EFL. Um, worth noting, a good week for, for QPR loanees in general with... Uh, Paul Smith playing very well for Accrington at the Stadium of Light as well. Uh, and Dino Marmaria getting sent off for over-celebrating uh, his second red card uh, in as many weekends, which is quite impressive. He's uh, certainly one of the more entertaining managers in, in the EFL. Um, and let's just touch on Mansfield's loss because it was against Notts County. We don't really want to be discussing the same teams every week, but Notts County are the story again. Um, basically dead and buried, we thought, and the bad PR that followed their chairman towards the end of the January window maybe blinded us to the fact that the business they did was going to make them a lot better. Well, that's certainly what's happened. Uh, Michael Doyle and Craig McHale-Smith especially seem to have had a massive impact. In terms of McHale-Smith, it's a, a bit of a surprise, I think, especially when you realise he's been playing in this sort of right midfield role and, and, and tucking in, certainly not the uh, the striker playing on the last man that we remember from his, his Peterborough days. Um but yeah, but, but I mean, but I think he's he's such a good person to have in their position, um, despite his advanced years. I mean, his energy and his work rate are just second to none. So, you know, when you're in a position where the quality isn't necessarily what's going to what's going to get you out of trouble, to have someone with that industry, um, who's also scored a hatful of of, of EFL goals in the last decade, um, it's, it's it's a sharp bit of business. It's sort of gone from, and this is how quickly. Narratives can change and, you know, sometimes legitimately because results happen and things do change. But it's gone from, you know, the oldest or the, the longest serving league club will be relinquishing its league status to 
I mean, it feels like everyone's just accepting that they're staying up now. Yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't go that far, but with with the teams around them, I mean, Yeovil seemed seemed to me to be as close to a to a, a clutch you can get um, for a team who aren't even in the relegation zone and haven't been for a while. But um, they are in in free fall. I mean, we talk about it a lot, but the decision to give Darren away a new contract still absolutely perplexing. Um, and but except for that, I mean, Morecambe picking up another huge win away at Port Vale. Port Vale with a new manager. Uh, Cheltenham's um, little run under new under the manager has come to an end, and they now look to be struggling. Um, but there, there aren't any. I mean, I'd say Yeovil are, are the clearest candidate um, to be replaced by Notts County. Uh, Maxfield obviously still in the in the bottom two, despite the improved form under Sol Campbell. Um, so pretty soon, I mean, if if Notts County can continue this, we've spoken so much about the League One playoff camp, uh, playoff picture. But from Northampton down, Northampton on thirty nine points and sixteenth. I think from there down, every single team is it's got to be looking over their shoulder. Um, so we could be in yet for for another stunning uh, relegation scrap. <laughs> it was a disappointing day for Mansfield fans. I think the general consensus was that none of the players really turned up and they didn't seem up for it. They were all hiding and that that's disappointing. You know, we banged on about George Grant and Tyler Walker and CJ Hamilton uh, for a few weeks in a row. So it's worth pointing out that this was a, a very subpar performance and uh, surprisingly so, not something that you know you'd want to see over the next few weeks. We need a reaction from them. Uh, Carlisle MK Dons was a banging game, three-two to MK Dons in front of ten k in the end, eight k for MK they wanted. They got ten, sensational stuff, uh, and another very impressive performance and goal from Jake Hesketh, who MK Dons did so well to get on loan in January. Felt like he was playing pretty well in League One for Burton, so um, very impressive there. You mentioned Morecambe beating Port Vale. Uh, this was a bit of a bad beat, I think, for Vale. That the keeper Mark Halstead made nine saves for Morecambe, some of them absolutely sensational. But it's worth pointing out that against the bottom ten, Morecambe have played eleven and got twenty points, and against the top fourteen, they've played twenty-one games and got just twelve points. So it's clear where their strengths lie. And lastly, uh, a soft spot for Grimsby Town, George. You've always had, so we've got to. Give them a li- <laughs> give them a little nod for for winning four in a row, so that this run is now four wins and then four losses and now four wins. Streaky, streaky, Michael Jolly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's great. They're now just wedged in mid table. No, no worries about relegation. Um, I said uh, erroneously a couple of weeks ago that the hot streak was over, and we've now got to get used to the fact that they aren't very good. Um, Ram down my throat, and it's uh, yeah. Obviously, I'm delighted to see them um, doing better. And I think that we've spoken about in other leagues about, about teams that you're looking forward to seeing next season. Um, and I think with another summer's recruitment under his belt, another season of, 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 of learning on the job, really, um, Grimsby could become quite an exciting team, maybe. Um, yeah, I mean, their, their recruitment in the last year, with certainly with Embleton coming in on loan, but also with, top, with Wes Thomas up front, who's been so good for them. And then in January, getting these two Swedish lads, Ring and Oman, in. Um, yeah. from the Al Svenskan <laughs> and both of them uh, from what we're hearing settling in very nicely at centre-back Oman and, and ring the left wing back so you know you'd back him to, to do the same again I suppose Yeah definitely and, and I think it's exciting seeing a team in League 2 recruiting from that from that area because realistically that means somehow I mean I don't know if they've got scouts out there or if it's, if it's or what it's based upon but it seems like it's a it's a accurate recruitment model which um, yeah, it's exciting. So uh, I, I'm happy. I mean, I, I'm I'm worried about. I'm going to say that I'm excited, and then we're going to see them slide down the table again. So I don't want to go in two footed. But um, 
but yeah, no, it looks good. And not a single mention of Paul Scholes or Sol Campbell. We're, we're not very good at SEO, I did, are we? I did, I did just say Sol Campbell's Maxfield. Did you? So. Oh, no. Okay, sorry. I take it back. That, you weren't listening. We'll get a few extra clicks for that, no doubt. Um, <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us. And um, we hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Uh, it's actually a tripod week. Many of you will have seen on social media. Uh, that I went and visited Paul Hurst the other day, sat down with him for for over an hour. So that'll be out on Tuesday afternoon and, and really hope you'll enjoy that one. We're loving this series and we're looking always ahead at, at the next couple of episodes. So um, get involved with that. Get involved with the betting show on Thursday. Uh, we would ask you as well to check out Football Index. We've spoken about it at the top of the show. Uh, if uh, that is something that you think would interest you, uh, go and check it out. We have a, a referral code NTT20 which means you'll get uh, £20 uh, free sort of trading cash to use if you deposit £20 or more. Um, So a busy week for us and uh, you'll be hearing our voices again very soon.